Welcome to Life, bringing you insight and experiences into love, relationships, and fertility with a focus on enjoying life and moving forward. On today's podcast, we'll be following up with Dara Godfrey, registered dietitian from RMA, for part two of how food impacts our life. Welcome to Life, Love, Insight, Fertility, Experiences. Today I'm here with Dara Godfrey, registered dietitian from RMA, for part two of how food impacts our life. When we think about being healthy, most of us think about overweight. But please keep in mind that not eating enough can be as impactful. Today we'll be talking about the impact weight has on fertility. Welcome back, Dara. I am so excited you're here. I'm thrilled to be here, Lori. Thanks for having me. Oh, anytime, Dara, really. What I'm so excited about is all of these articles are coming out related to weight and fertility. And it's been a longstanding item about what to eat and how to eat and how to be healthy. And some of it's related to fertility and some of it's just related to life in general. But there are specific conditions and diagnoses where we need to look at weight. For sure. Um, I want to bring up just a a quick uh, statistic. It's really interesting to see that according to the American Society of Reproductive Medicine, which is ASRM, that more than 70% of women who have weight-related infertility could get pregnant without fertility treatments if they bring their weight to a healthier level. Yes, I saw that, and I kind of have the chills thinking about (laughs) it. And just so people know, that is a fabulous organization, not just because I'm a member. But <laughs> it, <laughs> it gives you so much information. So for those of you who aren't familiar with the American Society of Reproductive Medicine, I would encourage you to take a look at the information that they're able to provide. So is this based on the BMI or is it based on just, you know, 10 pounds? It's predominantly BMI. So okay. BMI is body mass index, and mm-hmm. it's a number calculated based on your height and your weight. Okay. So your, your weight relative to your height, your height relative to your weight, easily to ca- calculate online. You can Google it. Right. Um, and the normal or healthy range is between 18.5 and 24.9. So these statistics are basically anything um, below that number, so below 18.5 or above 24.9. I haven't really experienced doctors sharing this information with patients? That's alarming because that's something that I know most doctors, at least at our clinic, we do automatically take. Mm -hmm. It's probably part of the form that you fill out um, when you first see, meet with a doctor, but they may not always give you that number Uh unless you ask for it. Right. I think it's a great number to have. Yes. And it's, it's a tool. It's one tool. Um, There are some situations where that number may be high, Mm -hmm. and it doesn't necessarily mean that you're overweight or obese. Muscle mass? Yes. So athletes, Uh a lot of um, athletic people tend to have a BMI above that normal range, even though they are not really considered overweight or obese, because yes, muscle mass, Mm -hmm. your, your weight, part of it can be your muscle, and muscle weighs more than fat. Right, it does, and that's true. I also, the one thing about statistics is I do like to make sure that everybody is aware that it's a statistic. It doesn't mean that this is going to happen to you. It's just information to go on that when you have a significant amount of weight to lose, it's going to be harder to get pregnant. And sometimes that's a motivating factor. But also, if you don't eat enough, 
it could impact because the outlier you had mentioned is on both sides. Lori, I love that you mentioned that because I do think a lot of um, healthcare people in the healthcare world often focus predominantly on people who are overweight and obese. Yes, and don't make that focus for people on the other side who are underweight. Um, they don't often take it as seriously, but in my opinion, it's just as serious. I agree. Because what you're really doing, if you're too much under your BMI, is you're starving your body. Yes. And then how is the fetus going to grow? Exactly. And I think it's also, it all goes back to hormones. Mm -hmm. And um, whether you're underweight or overweight, that can negatively impact your hormones, specifically your sex hormones. Interesting. Estrogen, testosterone. And it's, it's different mechanisms, whether you're overweight or underweight. Okay. So they they kind of work in opposition. So I'm not sure um, if many people know, but our uh, our fat cells, so our adipose tissue, actually produces and distributes many sex hormones, including estrogen and testosterone. Mm-hmm. So if we are overweight or obese, we have more fat cells. Right. If you have more fat cells, you have more sex hormones, and that can shift your um, equilibrium in your body right, and make you perhaps not ovulate or have problems ovulating, uh-huh. have menstrual irregularity or not menstruate. Uh-huh. So our hormones really, and this is something that I, I have an opportunity to talk about quite a bit, is how your hormones really affect not just your cycle, but your mood. Oh, for sure. Everything and your relationships and how you're getting along with your partner if you're choosing to have a child and become pregnant with a partner. So it's it really carries right through the gamut. And we don't think about that when we are indulging in something and why we might be indulging in it. What we're thinking about is that we're hungry or it's just a habit or it's how we grew up. Once we become pregnant or we try to become pregnant, we then want to think about what it is that we're eating. And that's a hard shift, whether you undereat or overeat, because if the people who are not eating enough are not eating enough many times, and I hear people say this to me, they don't want to be heavy. They don't want a baby belly. And they don't want to get out of those skinny jeans, although they're not necessarily 100% style right now. <laughs> but you, you see that and you hear it. I'm wondering how you work with these people. Well, uh, let's go back in terms of that talk. We spoke about overweight. If we have too many okay. fat cells, right. that leads to too much of the sex hormones. So the opposite is, is somewhat true. If you don't have enough fat cells or enough mm-hmm. fat mass, right. that means that you are not being able to produce those female sex hormones like estrogen. And similar things can happen. You have trouble ovulating. Right. Your menstrual cycle is somewhat irregular or maybe mm-hmm. you don't have a period. Right. And and this is with overweight and underweight. Overweight and underweight. They it's work with, in kind well, of different ways, but it does go but, back to your hormones. Right. It does. And you hear so much about the challenges people have in having sex while they're going through fertility treatment mm-hmm. because it no longer becomes as fun or as romantic as it does, okay, I'm ovulating. We've mm-hmm. got to do it now. And I've had, I think I've mentioned this once before, I had somebody say that she was willing to hang from the chandelier, <laughs> anything at all, just to have her husband want to be involved at this point because it's hard. It's hard to perform on demand. Oh, for sure. And it's interesting what you're, um, you know, hormones play many roles in our body. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's, there's sex hormones, but there's other hormones that are 
linked to our reproductive system. Right. And a lot of it actually goes back to stress. Yes. And so how you're saying, you know, you're under eating because you don't want to gain weight or you're overeating perhaps um, also for out of stress. Or to feed your soul a little or bit. Or to feed your soul. And, um, you know, there's other hormones that also play a role with your reproductive system. And that also includes things like cortisol and leptin. I mean, it's a very complex system, but it's interesting that a lot of, you know, it, it often goes back to, to stress and managing stress. So you Absolutely. could eat all the healthy food in the world, but if you're not managing your stress, mm-hmm. you still may have issues getting pregnant. Absolutely. And I, I love the example of making a fist and looking at the blood flow in your hand when you have the fist versus when you release it. Mm-hmm. It's such a visualization of seeing how your blood flows when you're stressed versus not. And there's a lot of things people could do to help reduce stress. For sure. Food is only a, a fraction of it. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> a little piece of chocolate never hurts. But a lot I'm of chocolate you. isn't great. My first psychotherapist teacher, he, I think he taught um, analytic psychotherapy. And it was like right in grad school, the first class. He said every good therapist has a little thing of chocolate on their desk. Because it does elevate the mood. Oh, for sure. Your serotonin, your dopamine, all that. Those good feelings. Right. For sure. Then once you start overeating it, it has really a negative effect on you. So how do you help people who come to you? This is a huge statistic. Mm-hmm. Who are either underweight or overweight. What do you do with them? I actually focus less on the numbers. Uh-huh. So, you know, people come in and I could tell right off the bat they tend to be quite nervous. Oh, no. She's going to tell me I can't eat this. Oh, no, she's going to tell me I have to eat this. And then they meet you. (laughs) Yeah, and and I think it's the control thing. The reason I think what we eat often is something that, of course, we have control over. Uh And when they're meeting with a dietitian, they think that all that's going to be taken away from them. So I, my whole philosophy, which goes back to stress, is trying to lead with positivity. Mm Mm-hmm. And instead of talking about numbers, okay, this is how much you have to lose, and this is the amount of time you have to lose it in, or this is how much you have to gain weight, people get afraid of those numbers. So I like to focus on what are the things that help make your body work as efficiently as possible. I love that. So it's changing the script. Yes. And, you know, it really has to become a way of life that you can integrate. So I don't do nutritional counseling at all, and I'm and I don't claim to know any great detail, but I have kept a significant amount of weight off for many, many years. And I've done that just through lifestyle and through choices, not giving anything up. And part of it is doing it slowly. And I think that's one of the most challenging things um, with working with fertility patients is that a lot of times it's a time crunch, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, in terms of advanced maternal age, wanting to get pregnant. And I want to lose weight as quick as I can so I can get pregnant. And as much as I understand and, and feel for people who, who want to work quickly, I do think to make long-term habits, things take time. And we need they to do. not give ourselves so much pressure to do a million things at once. Take a step back, mm-hmm. focus on one or two actionable, realistic goals that you mm-hmm. can work on. Work on it for 30 days until it becomes a habit. And then work on the next thing you see I absolutely agree with you but what happens is and what I experience with people is that they want it yesterday because they don't want to miss the next cycle because time becomes of the essence and you go on to this path when you start fertility where you have your schedule and if it doesn't work you're going to do this 
round. And if that doesn't work, you're going to do this round. And the schedule's laid out for you. And very few people are willing to take a break from that schedule. And it really depends. Some people could use a break, but some people, if they yeah. want to, that's okay too. But I think putting pressure on yourself to be perfect and to do everything right mm. actually increases your stress levels. Well, it does, and it makes it harder to do everything right. Yeah, and I think we yeah. need to be kinder, especially as women. We are so tough on ourselves to be perfect. I know. As opposed to being happy with what you're doing now and taking baby steps. It doesn't have to yeah. be perfection. It's progress. Well, the situation, what you said is trying to be perfect as a woman. When you're going through fertility treatments, all of a sudden, for infertility is a disease. And now you have to face that maybe you're not 100% perfect. But it doesn't mean you won't have a baby. That's so true. That's and a it, great point. And it doesn't mean you're not going to take off the weight or get within the BMI that you're supposed to be or within, you know, close to the range that you're supposed to be. It just means that your journey is going to take different kinds of integration into your life. And if you can integrate how to relax into that, mm -hmm. it's, a, it's fabulous, right? It's almost a home run. For sure. But if, it's interesting that food can actually help uh, lower stress levels. Yes. So we can get, even get into that in terms of... For me, it's more of the food combination. Okay. And I believe I mentioned this in our last session, but the idea that we, a lot of women, we're not eating enough protein. Right. And I always go back to protein because uh -huh. uh, it goes back to hormones. Um, protein is great, but when we have too many carbohydrates, carbohydrates releases insulin from your pancreas. Insulin's a hormone that is related to your sex hormones. So by having the carbohydrate by itself, Mm -hmm. It can actually produce too much insulin for us, and, and that can somewhat be detrimental and lead to some people for insulin resistance. But having that protein can actually help prevent that blood sugar rush, the insulin production, and make things work a little bit more smoothly in our body. That's a, a simple way of, of explaining yeah. it. So, so many people are becoming vegan and they're becoming different variations of vegan and ve vegetarian is almost not even something anybody calls themselves anymore. What do you do? How do you guide them? Because a lot of fruit has a lot of sugar. Vegetables has a lot of vitamins, but there's sugar in that or carbs in that as well. I, I love that you asked this question because I, <laughs> I am seeing with my patients at the clinic a huge increase in the number of people who've gone vegan partially because they're afraid of dairy because they think dairy is is horrible mm -hmm. for them and I'm one of those people I usually I can work with anyone in terms mm -hmm. of I want to work with what you feel comfortable with but I okay. also want to educate people that sometimes we have these finites dairy's bad gluten's bad and sometimes we need to take a step back and for me it's often the habits that we do yes may not I be agree. ideal yeah. Yeah. And the amount I of ask those that foods. question to people though. I'm sorry for interrupting you, but yeah. I ask people that a lot when they tell me that they're they're not gonna eat gluten anymore. And my next question is, did you get tested? Good question like, to ask. Why give it up if you don't have to? Yeah. So everybody a lot of people are coming into you. I see in the market too, people are just changing. And I read that um, one of the chain restaurants is now having a uh, a vegetable variation of their hamburgers. Yeah, and so for me, sometimes those vegetable alternatives are not mm. necessarily better than the meat counterparts. And I think 
I often call a lot of my vegetarians when I see what they're eating on a daily basis more carbitarians, which carbs are not the enemy. But if, you know, going back to if the ratio of carbohydrates is, is, is so much greater than protein or you're not getting enough protein when you're eating those carbohydrates, that can really impair your hormone balance. So this wouldn't just apply to fertility. This would apply to everything. Anyone. Anyone. Yes. So um, if you don't mind me asking, how do you guide them? And what to eat? I, I look at what they're eating currently because mm -hmm. I'm not going to give them a whole list of meal plans. Oh, that would stress anybody out. That, well, especially <laughs> that that's not going to fit into their day-to-day their -day routine. So I want to first eat. where are you right now? What are your habits right now? Mm -hmm. And customize it based on do you cook? Are you eating most of your meals outside? Can we look at the menus together mm -hmm. and come up with perhaps a, a couple of good options at those restaurants? Mm -hmm. um, you know, I'm not, I don't expect, you know, Rome wasn't um, changed in a day. We have to, sorry, it wasn't built in a day. Sorry. That's okay. We knew it yet. <laughs> I just Rome wasn't built in a day. And we shouldn't expect the same of ourselves. That, you know, baby steps. What are the, what's the main focus? Okay, this person's not eating breakfast. Maybe we should start with, what are some great breakfast options? Right. This person's not um, drinking enough water. Okay, how can we fit that into that schedule to make it realistic if they're working, if they're teachers, if they're staying at home? Um, so trying to see what they're doing right now mm -hmm. and choosing one or two realistic, manageable changes that they agree upon. Because I can give you all the information and guidance in the world. Right. If you're not going to do it, then that's, what's the point? So for me, having that open yeah. communication and telling me what's realistic uh -huh. and what's not. And so you mentioned, I, that that's wonderful, and you mentioned also working in a positive manner with people. And I, I practice positive psychology. It's just the way I like to practice, the way I like to live my life. It doesn't mean we don't get depressed or sad at times. Everybody does. But by and large, we can always look at the benefit of a situation. I love that. And evaluate what's not beneficial and figure out because once we figure it out and we have a plan we feel empowered so a lot of eating is control yes and a lot of it is stress related whether we're overeating or under eating so what do you do with these people because now you're saying okay this would be really good these are all the things you've told me that you eat that you like to eat mm -hmm. so we're going to incorporate them in a different way throughout your day do you think you could do it yeah what happens? Do they start to get stressed over it? or Sometimes they do. Sometimes they do. And I always say, this is a safe space. I would love for you to communicate with me. The good thing mm -hmm. what I love about working in a clinic and with the patients that I see is I get to see them on a regular basis. Which and is I think, great. Yeah, as opposed to working in a hospital where, you know, you have five minutes with something, a, mm -hmm. a patient, and they go on their way, and you never see them again. Yes. I think the importance of knowing that I am here to help guide and to help help with the positivity um, and realize that they don't have to wait until our next session to reach out to me via mm -hmm. email to get some words of wisdom, a little mood boost. But I also try to manage people's expectations that I don't expect perfection. And I think a lot of times people have that stress of, oh, I want to please, please Dara. She's like the teacher. I want to come back and I want to, you know, have an A++. Plus plus. Mm -hmm. And I always tell them it's not for me. This is for you. And I don't expect perfection. And in some ways, we need to make mistakes in order to learn. Yeah. And you see that a lot with your children. Yes. Because it, you, you need the real example of it. But even with ourselves, if we were perfect in everything, what's there to strive 
for? Like, what's, what is there to work towards if we don't have anything where, you know, we may not be doing things full force? That's okay because there's always something to to strive towards or improve. Yeah, the one thing, though, I do think could be a positive is if people do use you as a motivation when they get started because, you know, you're such a delight to be with. I don't know how to describe it. I don't even know what words to use. It's always like you walk in and the room gets warm and it's just, it's a fabulous experience. So if somebody can engage with you on that level, which I'm sure everybody does, or almost everybody, right, Mm -hmm. does, and they can say, you know what, Dara's saying this is going to work. I believe her. And they start off just putting their faith in your conversation. I see that as a huge positive in value. Yeah, and, 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 but I do tell them it is okay if mm-hmm. you are somewhat worried. Changes are tough. If you've been doing mm-hmm. one habit the entire, you know, for your entire life, it's hard to make those changes. And I always tell people, I don't expect it overnight. It takes about 30 days for, some, for someone to change their habit. For the habit, yeah. You know, what you mentioned though, is also what I see when I work with people, which is when you become pregnant or when you go through fertility treatment, a lot of the things that were bothering you before become amplified for sure and you kind of tie it to the fertility when it's not and when we're able to separate it it becomes very helpful in order to move forward that's a good point Lori. and it's important thank you it's an important point because we have to recognize that if we were stressed before we tried this and we started this journey when we try it we're going to be that much more stressed and we're going to need some relaxation techniques we're going to need some tools to try and figure out how to how to put things in perspective so one of my favorite um sayings i kind of made it up one day is pause and perspective Mm. it's so important and it's incredibly powerful we just need to take that moment and think about what's really going on get some perspective and then take our next step so with food i see it very much related so let's say this person decides she's going to be vegetarian. Mm-hmm. She's been vegetarian now for a year. Her husband's vegetarian mm-hmm. because w- the man is involved in all of this as well and, you know, the viability of his sperm. So now both of them are vegetarian. Maybe they're eating a few more carbs than they should be. What is it they should incorporate into their diet? Are there specific foods or specific items that they should even eliminate? Well, especially for vegetarians, Going back to the protein, making sure that they understand that there are many protein options mm-hmm. for vegetarians. Vegans mm. also have protein, but it, you have to work a, a little bit harder to get them in. But for vegetarians, eggs, right. dairy products, uh-huh. uh, nuts, seeds, right. uh, organic tofu, which I know that could be uh-huh. somewhat controversial. Right. Uh, <laughs> um, and then also making sure that you get in all the vitamins and minerals. For vegetarians who do eat a lot of vegetables, you would hope with the term vegetarian that those vegetarian uh, men and women are, are consuming a lot of vegetables, but that's where you do get a lot of those vitamins and minerals that can be very helpful for fertility in terms of folate and mm. in terms of even calcium. Right. Yeah. So now, one of my closest friends, it's when you, th- you don't know her, but if you knew mm-hmm. her, it would almost make you want to laugh she was the biggest eater you've ever met not obese but she'd go into a restaurant and literally say what is the largest portion that you serve and that's what she would order and she would eat anything and everything she saw a show on netflix and she decided that she's going to be a little bit more stringent than vegan 
And so now she's lost a good amount of weight Mm -hmm. doing it. And she's very, very focused on it, which I think people become very focused on this when they first start. And on the show, I don't remember the name of it, it said, cheat, they've never seen anybody get sick from not having enough protein. But I kind of beg to differ a little bit. I think you could have too much of anything. Mm -hmm. And I do think, and this is, I think, the hardest thing for most people is trying to find a balance of having a variety of different types of foods and macronutrients. So I'm not at the school of thought of cutting out carbs or cutting out fat or cutting out protein. Um, But I do think it can be an extreme. Same thing as you mentioned before, uh, depriving yourself can lead to, you know, your body going into starvation mode. And as opposed to burning fuel, your metabolism being working well, it actually slows down. Your body is a really well-oiled machine, and it, uh, if it notices that it hasn't eaten enough food, it actually slows everything down in case it's not fed for a while. Wow. And the same thing goes on the opposite end. Uh-huh. So I think people know that, but the reason why I kind of wanted to make note of it is because it's an interesting thought. Yeah. Well, if I only eat this today, I should lose weight. But the science is saying, no, that's not true. Well, not necessarily carbs in, carbs out. I think it's a little bit more complex. It's a lot more complex than that because all of our bodies have a different set point or starting point. Yeah. So if I bring this back to fertility just for a minute, if you don't mind, were there specific diagnoses that that, um, this is most impactful for? I'm happy you mentioned that. So a lot of times we think that if we eat a lot, that can lead to, to people being overweight or obese. A lot of times that that weight that comes on can actually stem from hormonal issues. Mm-hmm. So people with underactive thyroids, people with uh, polycystic ovary syndrome, PCOS. Which quite a few people have. Exactly. And that C- actually you know, can lead to Are you to able to explain gain. just a little bit about it? Sure. So what I like, the way I describe PCOS is it's, to be diagnosed, you need to have a number of, um, of these symptoms and they're quite, you, you know, varied. So one of them can be that you are not ovulating as regularly. Right. You could have facial growth or male pattern hair growth. Uh, you could have cysts on your ovaries, hence uh-huh. the term, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you have to, you could still be diagnosed with PCOS without having cysts on your ovaries. Right. And sometimes they need to be removed and sometimes they don't. Exactly. Um, but for me, the biggest manifestation that we don't even see is insulin resistance. And that's where yes. I come in. Mm-hmm. Because, as I mentioned before, our pancreas produces insulin. It actually produces insulin when it detects carbohydrates in our body. Mm-hmm. So that's why I always go back to every time someone eats a carbohydrate, make sure to pair it with a protein to prevent that blood sugar spike, which forces that pancreas to work in overtime to produce the insulin and if there's issues producing it that's when there you know could be a snowball effect um that can affect your other hormones including your sex hormones. so when you buy these um nut bars or protein bars very often you'll see them with chocolate yes or you'll see them with some kind of a sweet mm-hmm. is that the right combination you're supposed to be having because uh, you see them all over and it's interesting that you say that because something you'd think something like um, a Kind Bar. Kind Bar has right. nuts in it. So nuts huh. are healthy fats and protein. So that can kind of help with some of the sugar, the honey, or the chocolate that's in there. Um, and for me, it really depends. For a snack, I usually say you want about 
eight grams of protein. Mm -hmm. There aren't that many bars that have eight grams of protein in it coming from a natural source, not from a, a processed where they add in soy protein isolate right. or they're adding some sort of powdered protein. Mm -hmm. What I mean by protein is coming from eggs or nuts or seeds. Right, so you're so much better off taking a handful of nuts. I'm with you. And a piece of fruit. And a piece of fruit, yeah. And if that's not satisfying, you could always come up with something else because there is a wealth of of um, opportunity and options. Mm -hmm. It's just trying to figure out which ones they are when you're on the run <laughs> and you need to grab a quick something. And that you like. Because yes. if you don't like it at the end of the day, it's never going to happen. And then we fall back into those old habits. I absolutely agree with you. And absolutely that's where I come in. I mm -hmm. hopefully provide some new ideas and inspiration. Well, I think you probably do. Not just with food, but with motivation mm -hmm. and just life in general. Thanks, Lori. What else can we share today? I think the importance of not putting so much pressure on perfection and reaching that number goal, whether it's weight gain, weight loss, but focusing on the things that we can do and staying positive mm -hmm. and realizing, let's say if we don't do it the way we envisioned it today, there's always tomorrow. Yes, absolutely. And what I really um, would take away from the conversation as well is I would, I would add that to get the BMI within the appropriate kind of range or, you know, a couple points from it, um, which I'm taking the liberty of saying that's not what science is saying, but close to it, we don't have to give anything up. We just have to figure out how to incorporate it. So true. And if we're binge eating, we need to kind of look at why, because to me that means there's something going on and you're not happy or you're frustrated or you're sad or you're stressed. And if you're not eating, there's a lot of control there and a lot of body image and self-esteem. So we just need to look at why also you're not within the right BMI. Lori, and that's so true. And I think that's where you come in. And that's why I think you we are, both do. I think we. I think it's great to work together with yeah. a therapist and a dietitian because a lot of times the dietitian talks a lot about the food, and yeah. a lot of people know what to eat, but there is often that underlying reason of why they restrict food or why mm -hmm. they use food as a comfort, um, whether they eat, you know, by themselves as yeah. a tool or or when they're with friends or influenced. And I do think that combination of therapy, food therapy, mm -hmm. mind therapy, it all works together. It does all work together because we really are a biopsychosocial kind of life that we live, or um, maybe I didn't say that correctly, but it's one of my favorite expressions is, you know, the biopsychosocial aspects of life. And I do that with my support groups because we can't rule any one thing out. There's always so much going on at once. So I think that this is great information, Dara. I think it helps people to frame that whether you're overweight or underweight, it impacts. And we want to try and get ourselves within a healthy range. Not skinny, not fat, but just a healthy range and to feel good. I'm with you. Yeah. So thank you very much. I think that this was great. I really do. I hope it's eye-opening a little bit to people. The number is huge of how much this impacts fertility, but it impacts life also, whether you're the man or the woman, uh, the grandparent or the uncle, it impacts everyone. Two things I want to add. One, what about men? Men are half of the story, half of the picture. Absolutely. And I 
always, always mention to people, how is your partner doing? We actually did a podcast just with men because they're going through this. And lots of times they're the forgotten silent partner. And especially in terms of weight, there is research to show that men that are overweight or obese may have lower sperm count and sperm motility. So making sure that they focus on weight loss, which is a great way also to do it together, supporting one another. Right. And then it becomes easier to have that support at home. So you're not maybe cooking two different meals or not eating together because dinner time is such an important time for couples, I think. And if you're doing it together, it is that much easier. Yeah. So uh, just as a reminder to people, when we look at infertility, a third is the female, a third is the male factor, and a third is unknown. So we should really keep that in mind. And it sounds like when we talk about food, what do we do to help motivate the man to stay on the diet? Should they come in with their wife and talk to you together? I always recommend that. I think it's great. The first session, both of them together. And then if they need some extra support separately, because they may have some other underlying issue that they want to work on on their own that may be different than their partner. And do they um, take any medical tests or do they wind up doing blood work also? The yes. At, at our yeah. fertility clinic, they do as Very well. Um, and especially in terms of genetic testing, that's uh-huh. something that they both do, both men and women do. So you'll see their blood sugar levels and you'll see if there's anything outstanding that really needs to be addressed while you're talking about nutrition. Yeah, specifically we usually see the hemoglobin A1C level, and that's Uh their sugar level, not just what they ate yesterday, but a measurement of their sugars over the past three months. So Mm -hmm. it gives you a better uh, picture of what they've been eating longer term. Right, and do you ever try to incorporate exercise with this with the man? And the women, too. I For sure. Know. Exercise is a, is a very important part of, you know, mental well-being, heart health. But I actually do cautious, uh, caution against over-exercising or doing any intense exercise because I'm sh- not sure if a lot of people know this, but it can actually lead to more inflammation in your system. Right. It can. And so how would that, we know how that would impact the woman, but mm-hmm. how would that impact the man? Well, it could be the same thing in terms of if you over-exercise, that can actually turn on some of those stress hormones. Uh Also, if we over-work out, that often gives us a a bigger incentive to want to eat more (laughs) or perhaps be less focused on what, what the choices that we're making in terms of the food. Because, oh, it says here on the treadmill, I burned 700 calories. Oh, I can have that Big Mac, right? Right. Wasn't that that saying for a while <laughs> that, like, like, you know, they gained their um, gym membership five pounds or 10 pounds because people join the gym, they're gung-ho, yes. and instead of taking off the weight, they wind up gaining it right away, and it's not necessarily muscle. And often they, you know, there's research to show that people who work out so intensely are actually extra sedentary the rest of the day. So they overcompensate by being less active, you know, couch potatoes after a a really sweaty workout, as opposed to people who do something a little bit more gentle, like a Pilates or a yoga or a light uh, weightlifting uh, exercise routine, where you can actually still walk around and be active the rest of the day. Right, and to start off slow, kind of like what you're saying with the dieting. You have 30 days, I actually thought it was a little bit longer than 30 days, so thank you for saying that, but 30 days to change a habit. Mm Mm-hmm. And the same thing with exercise. Oh, for sure. And if you start off slow, you may surprise with yourself with how far you get and still not become sedentary at the end. And finding something that you like. It doesn't have to be joining a gym. 
but finding some way to be active. It could be something as simple as putting on music every morning and and dancing. I tell people that or jump rope or use a hula hoop or, you know, take the steps instead of the elevator. There's a lot of different ways to do it. Yes. And the second thing I wanted to mention that I didn't mention before was the importance of fat. I think fat has gotten such a bad reputation, but it is one of the three important macronutrients that we need in our body. Fat will not necessarily make you fat. So when we were talking about vegan diets and different Uh diets and substitutes, I was, what came to mind is when fat-free came along. That was the trend. I just thought it was so unhealthy because there's so much extra sugar in fat-free. Well, I'm happy you said that. So growing up, I mean, I grew up with skim milk and everything, Mm. you know, the fat-free ice cream craze. And the problem is, it's true. If you're getting rid of fat, you're also getting, you have to, you're getting rid of some of the taste and the flavor. So what often gets put into those products are extra sugar and actually also extra salt. So it's really less healthy for you to take that option. For sure. In terms of, of having that hormone stabilization, taking out that fat is not great. However, we should focus yeah. on great sources of fat. Now, why would somebody go on a fat-free diet? Because perhaps a lot of times uh, people with heart conditions, they okay. say, oh, you know, f- mm-hmm. fat-free. Um, and for me, it's the quality of the fat that's really crucial. If people are having I too agree. much fried food or packaged food, mm-hmm. uh, that's more what I'm concerned about. But in terms of fats coming from um, great quality uh, polyunsaturated fat and omega-3 fatty acids from wild salmon and nuts and seeds and olive oil and avocados, Mm -hmm. those are all great fats that can be great for our system, make our our hormones a little bit more stable, and make our, our mind happier as well. Right. Absolutely. So it doesn't mean that you should never eat fat. It just means you should look at the fat that you're eating. And if you do love, like, you know, those French fries, it doesn't mean you don't ever eat them again. So true. (laughs) Just, you know, have a handful, enjoy it, don't feel guilty, move on. Right. And I think the guilt is a really important word to use. Now, some people say guilt is a wasted emotion. Other people say guilt is a motivator. (laughs) I think it could be both in different situations. I absolutely agree with you. What I think the important takeaway here, though, is that don't let the guilt overtake your motivation to continue. Love that. That's so true. Yeah. Good way to look at it. Yeah. So, Dara, it's so great to talk to you. I always love being here. I love it when you're here. Thank you. Thank you so much. Is there anything else we should mention to everybody? Take a deep breath. Realize that you have a support system out Uh there. You're not doing it alone. And don't feel bad to reach out to to a a dietitian, to a therapist. Ask questions and seek seek help if you need it. That's okay. Yeah, I love that. I do. And sometimes it's good to go outside of the family. I agree. If you need to talk to a third person uh, because there's not as much emotional involvement. And sometimes you have all that support from your family. So just know where you're at. And that's the important part. Well, Dara, thank you. I can hardly wait you come back. <laughs> Me as well. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. And um, do you want to let people know how to get a hold of you? Sure. You can follow me on my Instagram account. It's Dara Godfrey Nutrition. Or you can find me at RMA of New York on our website. And, uh, yeah. Great. Thank you. And if anybody has any questions or comments, please feel free to call me or contact me at laurimetz.net.